Well, good morning. My heart is so full. I, uh, I had opening remarks, and my heart is just so full. I have missed you all so much. And um, hearing you all singing, I'm going to be okay, I promise. I'm going to be okay. But wow, it's just, it's so good to be back in church. It's so good to see you, to see your faces, and um, see your smiling eyes, and some of your smiling mouths, and it's just so great to be back. And welcome those of you who couldn't join us this morning and who are just joining us online. It's so great that you're here too. I, uh, I hope you'll, you'll let us know in the comments that you're here. You know, just say hi because I miss you too, and hopefully we can see you soon. Today we are continuing our series on the fruit of the Spirit, which is found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, where it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Today we are going to be looking at the fruit. I suspect that you clued in based on all of those wonderful scriptures that we read this morning, what our theme is, but today we are going to be looking at the fruit of spirit of peace. Before we do, let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that we could be here today. You are the Lord who gives and the Lord who takes away, but Lord, today you have given and you've given richly. And we're so grateful to be here in your presence, to be among your people, to hear your praises sung, and to be in one another's presence, Lord. We thank you that your presence is here with us, that your presence has been with us all the way along, even as we have met together from the solitude of our living rooms, God, and our bedrooms, and our basements, and wherever it is that we've come together, you have been with us, God. But today, we feel you are with us differently because we are together, and we thank you for that, Lord. We pray that you would open your word to us. We pray that you would open our hearts, that we would be ready to receive, and that you would reap a crop in us, 30, 60, and 100-fold. In your name we pray, amen. Peace. Peace is, it's a big thing in our world, right? It's, it's a thing that we talk about a fair bit. It is a, it is a big goal. Um, many universities have a peace and conflict studies department. My mother has her PhD in Peace and Conflict Studies. My sister has her bachelor's degree in, uh, I think they call it something else at the, at the bachelor's level, but it's same, same sort of idea. One of the most prestigious prizes that our society hands out is the Nobel Peace Prize, although that seems to have been sullied a little bit lately with some politics, but it is still a big deal, right? The, the Nobel Peace Prize, not the Nobel science prize or the physics prize or any of the other ones, but the peace prize is a really big deal. And we often see peace primarily as the opposite of war, right, and of conflict. And that's, that's good, right? That's not, that's not wrong. But is that what we're talking about today? Peace as the opposite of war. More personally, we use the term peace and we throw it around in some other ways. We talk about trying to get some peace. You know, we talk about, maybe if your kids are young, you talk about when the kids get to bed, then you can get some peace. Or if you're a student, or if you're in a job where you have things that are due, like sermons, you talk about when your assignments are finished, then you can have a little peace. Maybe you think about getting some peace when you can finally take a vacation. Who's ready to jump on a plane? I've been joking for the weekend. Everybody around me seems to be Lenny Kravitz. I want to get away. 
All right, a couple of people know Lenny Kravitz. That's fine. And in that context, peace isn't so much the idea of the opposite of war, right? We mean peace as like rest, that peace is rest. But that, that doesn't really seem like a fruit of the Spirit, right? Is the idea that once your kids go to bed, then you can take some time for yourself, is that a fruit of the Spirit? Is once your homework's all done, then you can do what you want to do? That's not, that doesn't really sound like what it is. And the dictionary, you know, if you type peace into Google or Yahoo or whatever your preferred search engine is, or look it up in an actual book dictionary, because I know some of us still have those, peace is defined as freedom from disturbance or tranquility. And they're kind of, they're kind of following along this line of thought. Right? And, in, and in that sense, peace becomes more like a default. In, in fact, peace becomes like some things that, in some senses, we think don't exist. Oh, we're getting some feedback there. It wouldn't be a Sunday at Elam if we didn't have sound issues, right? Is peace like cold? Is peace just the absence of, the way that cold is the absence of heat? Or that darkness is just the absence of light? Is peace just the absence of conflict? I mean, it's, for sure it is that, right? But is it, is it more? Is that all that God's talking about? And, and for sure, the absence of conflict is something that God is talking about, right? Like Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 18, brings this up quite beautifully. And I'll read it to you. Ephesians 2, 11, verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So Jesus is talking about peace as the ending of conflict between human groups, but also he's talking about peace as ending that conflict between humans and God, reconciling us through the cross, as verse 17, verse 17 says. But I'm not sure that that is what's being talked about when the fruit of the Spirit is described as peace. Because if that were so, that would kind of make it sound like peace is a one and done. Jesus dies on the cross, rises from the dead, and now you have peace with God. Check. Right? None of these other, none of the other fruits of the Spirit are that sort of thing. You don't, Jesus doesn't die and now you have love. Check. Now you have joy. Check. Everything else is something that we grow in. They're fruit. There's something that the Spirit develops in our lives. 
So to me, the idea that the peace in the context of the fruit of the Spirit is simply the absence of conflict doesn't seem sufficient. And in fact, if we look at John chapter 16, the very end of Jesus' high priestly prayer for the believers, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus is promising conflict. Jesus says you will have trouble, but in me you will have peace. So he's clearly not talking about peace as simply the absence of conflict, at least not in this context, because when Jesus talks about that, he's saying that peace is something that we possess, not something that happens to us. Peace is an attitude of the heart, not a circumstance, or, or a circumstance of the spirit, not a circumstance of the body, we might say. And Jesus has a lot to say about peace, though he doesn't always use that word. John chapter 14, the beginning of this high priestly prayer, one of my favorite chapters in all of scripture, is all about peace to the disciples. Let's read a bit of it. John 14, starting in verse 1, Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas answered him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well, and from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Do you see it? Do you hear it? The word peace doesn't come up there, but this is all about peace. Jesus is giving them, he's giving them reasons to feel peaceful. He's, he's explaining stuff so that they can be at peace even as the world around them falls apart. Jesus is giving comfort, understanding, perspective. These are the things that Jesus gives the disciples in order to give them peace as they go into the crucifixion. Possibly the least peaceful thing that has ever happened. Maybe not, maybe that's an exaggeration, but. Let's keep reading a bit. How about verse eight? Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Do you hear it? Do you hear it? Like, do you feel that just like going down into your soul? 
Jesus is so obviously crafting these words to stir up the faith of his people. He is trying to calm the disciples, to get them to see the bigger picture and to not enter into that anxious panic, but rather to remain steady because they already know the end. The last thing that Jesus looks to address in his own absence is the disciples' desire to have him present. In this same chapter, in verse 25, we read, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I think I can sit down now. That could probably be it. Like, but the Bible says more. We, could, we can keep going because Jesus isn't just talking about giving us reasons or perspective, right? He's not just giving us words and saying, oh, remember this to have peace, that Jesus himself is the source of our peace. We already read those words in Ephesians 2.14 where it says that he himself is our peace. And we read earlier in the sermon, or in, this, in the service, those words from Isaiah 53, 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. And in Isaiah 9, 6, where we get this wonderful name of Jesus, which we read already, the Prince of Peace. If you want peace in your life, get close to Jesus. The Prince of Peace, the one who brought our peace, the one who is peace. And that, that's kind of the refrain of this series, right? Like if this series was a song, the chorus that we would keep coming back to was, you need to get close to Jesus. But we could do a lot worse, right? Like we could do a lot worse as something to come back to. Because we, we can never be close enough to Jesus, right? We, we can never get close enough. And every time we get closer it creates a hunger within us to know him more, to know him more deeply, to know him more closely. It reminds me of one of the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 6, where Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. There's always more God. We're not going to run out. We can always press for more of him. He's there and he is ready to give. So dig for God. Claw for him. Fight to read the scriptures, to spend time in prayer, because at the end of that fight is the peace which surpasses all understanding. So, what's the application? How can we make a difference in our lives? How can we know that we are growing in peace? How can we recognize this in our lives? Well, that's always kind of a difficult question. How about starting with what is not peace? How about, how about some of those things that are not the thing that we're looking for. Because if we only think of peace, as we've been trained to do, as the absence of disturbance, then sometimes we can mistake irresponsibility for peace. For example, how about procrastination? I don't know about you guys, I'm no amateur procrastinator. I'm a procrastinator. Right? But, like, that's, that's one of those things that can trick us. Because... We, if we just think that, <coughs> excuse me, ooh, bumped the microphone there. 
If we just think that peace is the absence of conflict, that it's the absence of that anxiety, right, that thing that we can feel sometimes, then if we watch a movie instead of doing the thing that we're supposed to do because we think, oh, I'll get done, it'll be fine, we can mistake that for peace. That's not the same thing. Or, or distraction, right? Like, there's, it's one thing to choose to do something else. It's another thing that you keep yourself so busy that you don't have time to worry about something else that's coming, right? Distraction is not the same thing as peace. If you have, if you have a test coming up, or like when I went to go get my shot, I do not like needles. I don't, I don't like needles. I've never passed out or anything, but I, I just don't like them. I played on my phone a lot sitting in that chair waiting for the needle to come because I was trying to distract myself. That is not the same thing as having peace, right? That I wasn't feeling the anxiety because I was focused on something else is not the same. And we need to make sure that we're not deluding ourselves into thinking we have peace just because we keep ourselves distracted or because we put, it, we put off worrying until we absolutely have to deal with it. So what is peace then? If we know kind of what it isn't, what are the things that we can look for to let us know that we are actually growing in peace? Well, the first one that I would say is confidence. We need to have confidence, if we can see this in ourselves, if we have confidence in God's ability to provide and in your ability to endure through him. My friends have a joke. They joke that they can keep time they can basically keep time by me texting them and having a crisis. They say, oh, it's been two weeks. Graham is questioning his calling. It must be time for another sermon. I, I, I take this very, very seriously. I agonize over the words that I'm going to present to you guys because I really believe in what we do here. And especially, I believe that what you need to hear is what God has to say, not what I have to say. And that means that I pour over these things. I fight with them. I wrestle to make sure that I'm giving you what God has to say and not grinding my own axe. But it also means that every couple of weeks, I have a little crisis. And it's kind of a joke at this point. By my count, today, this is my 51st sermon at Elam. 51! Oh, thank you, that's very kind. <laughs> some of you are like, geez, this guy's been at it forever already. And some of you are, might think, this guy's just a young whippersnapper, he doesn't know what he's doing yet. But I've learned, just by having done this, you know, 50 times already, that I expect that disturbance. I, I've come to expect that when it's time to get a sermon ready, I'm going to feel all of those things because that just seems to be what happens. But more than that, I've learned to expect that God comes through. I have peace during the, you know, Trial of sermon prep is a bit of a, you know, it's a little bit loose with the term, but I know that what it produces. And I remember all of the times, 50 times, that God has come through every week. I keep joking to Justina, I get one dud a year, right? And every time that I think I'm about to use it, God shows up and takes what I give him, and he uses it to make a difference, Sounds like James chapter 1, verse 2, where he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. 
James goes on to remind us that what those trials produce in our lives, perseverance, maturity, perfection, James is reminding us that we can have peace even in those difficult times because of what they're, they're producing. We know what happens on the other side. We have confidence. And Paul has advice on this matter as well. These are very well-known verses in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Prayer, joy, confidence. Next time you're in a trial, examine yourself and look for that confidence. Not a blind optimism, but a trust rooted in the knowledge of the eternal God who is working out his purposes in you and through you. If you can see that confidence, you can have faith in confidence that you're growing in peace. Secondly, we can look for acceptance. Acceptance of whatever is to come. Like, like that you're less focused on the outcome and more focused on the process. It's a little bit like, it's a little bit like resignation, but less defeated. You know, where, where you go, okay, it's the attitude where you say, if I have God, it will be enough. It doesn't matter what happens in this situation as long as I have God. And this is kind of David's picture of peace of, because of his closeness to God in Psalm chapter 23, or Psalm 23, I suppose, in just those first few verses, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Because David knows that whatever happens, he has God and that will be enough. I went through something a few years ago and I'm not prepared to talk details right now, but as I was going through it, when the wound was its freshest, I turned to God and I said, God, you've been so good to me. If you did this to me every day for the rest of my life, you would still have been more good to me than I'd ever deserve. And I went through a really hard season. But I knew that I would come out the other side. And it doesn't mean that it didn't hurt. It doesn't mean that I didn't have to take time to process and work through some of what I was feeling. But I was totally confident that God would bring me through, right? That's that confidence. But more, I knew that as long as I had God, it would be enough. Is that peace? I think so. The peace wasn't not crying. It wasn't not wondering what's going to happen next or not hurting, but it is knowing which way is north and that in the end, God is what you need. And third, and maybe related, but just another word to help us think this through, is contentedness. It's wanting only God and being content with whatever else. There are very famous verses that you probably know, also from Philippians chapter 4, that speak to this issue. Philippians 4, 10 to 19, where Paul says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned but had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, because I can do all this through him who gives me strength. 
Paul is at peace. Paul has material concerns, just like we do, but he is at peace. He's not worried. He knows where he's going, and he knows whose he is, and he knows that as long as he has God, it will be enough. Confidence, acceptance, contentedness. Look for those in your life, especially as you go through difficult seasons, and then you can know that you're growing in the fruit of the Spirit, which is peace. May we all grow in peace, but more importantly, may we draw near to God who waits for us with open arms. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit which indwells us, which lives with us, God, which is growing fruit in our lives and drawing us closer to you. We thank you, Lord, for this time that we could spend focused on this fruit of peace. We pray that you would continue to bring it out in our lives, Lord. We pray that our hearts would be open to you and that we would, we would listen for you, God, and that we would, when we come upon those difficult seasons, those trials and tribulations, Lord, that they would be opportunities for growth, that we would count them all joy and that we would see us becoming more like you in those times. Pray that you would bless us and keep us, that your peace would be upon us as we go and in our hearts and that we would be that light. In your name we pray, amen.